You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. A phishing campaign this week appears to be the work of Russia's SVR. Chinese government threat actors continue to exploit unpatched Pulse Secure instances. The FBI renews warnings about unpatched Fortinet appliances. Healthcare organizations still work to recover from ransomware. Rick Howard speaks with author Andy Greenberg on his book Sandworm. Ben Yellen weighs in on questions Senator Wyden has for the Pentagon. And a look at the criminal ransomware market, including the consultants who serve the extortionists. the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Friday, May 28th, 2021. The weekends with more stories of cyber espionage. Microsoft yesterday announced its discovery of a new campaign by the Russian threat actor Redmond Calls Nobelium, which is the group others know as Cozy Bear. By general consensus, it is associated with both Russia's SVR and the SolarWinds compromise. Nobelium this week succeeded in compromising a constant contact email marketing service account belonging to the U.S. State Department's internal assistance agency, USAID, The threat actor then used that account to send convincing phishing emails to more than 3,000 accounts at over 150 organizations. The fish hook was a link that installed the Native Zone backdoor, and Microsoft has provided technical details about the attack. U.S. organizations were most heavily targeted, but at least 23 other countries were also affected. Veloxity, which has also been tracking Cozy Bear's new campaign, points out that the fish bait in the emails was frequently election-themed. Here's one representative screamer. USAID special alert. Donald Trump has published new documents on election fraud. Another is foreign threats to the 2020 U.S. federal elections, which seems like a cheeky bit of fish bait for Cozy Bear to use as chum. Velexity doesn't claim to have any certainty about who's behind the campaign, But it does think the attack looks like the work of a known threat actor it has dealt with on several previous occasions. It does cite four attributes that point toward APT-29, that is, the SVR. The attackers use an archive file format with an LNK to deliver the initial payload. 
This technique was observed in 2018. They also used an election-themed lure that appears to come from a U.S. government source. This has been seen since 2016. Cobalt Strike, with a custom malleable profile, was used as an initial payload, as has been done since 2018. And finally, the scope and timing of the campaign looks like the familiar paw prints of a huggy bear. Many targets got the same phishing content at about the same time. Chinese intelligence services have also been busy. FireEye's Mandiant unit has followed up earlier research into Pulse VPN exploitation and concluded that the Beijing-linked threat actors UNC-2630 and UNC-2717 have introduced four new families of malware and deployed these against economic verticals given priority in China's 14th five-year plan. The cyber espionage is characterized as sophisticated and evasive and as exhibiting an intimate familiarity with the victims' networks. The four new strains of malware are Bloodmine, a utility that parses Pulse Secure Connect log files and extracts information related to logins, message IDs, and web requests. It then copies the data it obtains to another file. Bloodbank, a credential theft utility that parses two files containing password hashes or plain text passwords and expects an output file to be given at the command prompt. Clean Pulse, a memory patching utility that may be used to prevent certain log events from occurring. Researchers found Clean Pulse in close proximity to an atrium web shell. And finally, Rapid Pulse, a web shell that's capable of arbitrary file read. As other web shells so often do, Rapid Pulse exists as a modification to a legitimate Pulse Secure file. The attacker can use Rapid Pulse as an encrypted file downloader. While some European organizations have been targeted, the great majority of those affected have been in the United States. The U.S. FBI yesterday warned that foreign actors were exploiting unpatched Fortinet VPNs to compromise U.S. municipal governments. Quote, As of at least May 2021, an APT actor group almost certainly exploited a Fortigate appliance to access a web server hosting the domain for a U.S. municipal government. The APT actors likely created an account with the username Ellie to further enable malicious activity on that network. End quote. Once they're in, the attackers can accomplish a number of unwelcome things, data exfiltration, further malware installation, data encryption, and so on. Organizations that think they may have been affected should look for FTP transfers over port 443 and unrecognized scheduled tasks, especially synchronized time zone. This isn't the first warning the FBI or CISA have issued about the risk of leaving Fortinet appliances unpatched, and we emphasize that Fortinet has had a patch available for some time. Their first warning arrived on October 12th of last year. The second was issued almost two months ago, on April 2nd. There's almost a touch of weariness in yesterday's warning. It's like, come on people, how much more can we spell it out for you? Tell his honor to have people patch the city's stuff, okay? It's worth noting that local governments shouldn't presume they enjoy immunity from the attentions of unfriendly foreign states. BlackBerry puts the worldwide Conti ransomware victim count north of 400. A lot of these have been healthcare or first responder targets, prominently Ireland's HSE, New Zealand's Waikato DHB, and California's Scripps Health, all three of which continue to work toward recovery. 
BlackBerry took a look at the free decryptor Conti operators offered in a fit of either remorse or, more probably, fear of the attention from law enforcement that widespread public odium would spur. BlackBerry concluded that the decryptor was indeed legitimate and not a further scam, but lest one be inclined to credit Conti operators with a functioning conscience, consider the comment they provided NewsHub about their infestation in Waikato, quote, For last three days, we tried to contact them, and we offered help with restoring the network. With our help, they could restore it for one day. Without our help, they will have to rebuild their network from the beginning. They decided to ignore us and torture their employees and patients. It is only their fault that DHB is still offline. They can't use their backups. We deleted most of it. End quote. NewsHub also reported that the Cancer Society's medical director called the ransomware attack worse than COVID, which seems perhaps overheated, but there's little doubt that disrupting networks in Waikato has also disrupted the delivery of care. In Ireland, officials now estimate that the total costs of the Conti attack on HSE will probably exceed 100 million euros. The dark side is another crew that's claimed to have gone dark, but U.S. law enforcement authorities aren't counting on them keeping their word, InfoSecurity magazine reports. If you take the gangs at their word, then, hey, we've got a non-fungible token of a perpetual motion machine you may be interested in as an investment opportunity. And finally, the underground criminal economy is a complex one that mirrors many aspects of legitimate markets. Crooks have their consultants, just as legitimate businesses do, Gemini Advisory reports. They squabble sometimes. A dark web fight between our evil and a criminal middleman, a ransomware consultant, has revealed some of the features of that market. The consultant scouts victims to come up with recommendations for a ransom the victims are likely to pay and also handles negotiations between the extortionists and the victims. Sleazy, but still complex. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. 
Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Rick Howard winds up his week-long series of interviews with highly respected authors of cybersecurity books, each one an inductee into the cybersecurity canon. Here's Rick with the latest. We are at the end of Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame Week here at the CyberWire. I've been interviewing all the winning authors for this year, and our final interview is with Andy Greenberg, the author of Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War. I asked Andy, what exactly is Sandworm? Sandworm is a group of Russian hackers that since late 2015 or so have carried out what I think is the first full-blown cyber war. Starting in Ukraine, they attacked pretty much every part of Ukrainian society with these data-destructive attacks that hit media and the private sector and government agencies, and then ultimately the electric utilities, causing the first-ever blackouts triggered by cyber attacks. Sandworm hit Ukraine's power grid not once but twice in late 2015 and then again in late 2016. And then finally, this Ukrainian cyber war that Sandworm was waging, essentially, in the middle of 2017, exploded out to the rest of the world with this cyber attack called NotPetya, a worm, a self-propagating piece of fake ransomware that was actually just a destructive attack that spread from Ukraine to the rest of the world and took down a whole bunch of multinational companies, medical record systems, and hospitals across the United States, and ultimately cost $10 billion in global damages, the worst cyber attack in history, by a good measure. So the story of Sandworm is a detective story about the security researchers across the private sector trying to track this group and figure out who they are and try to warn the world that this Ukrainian cyber war was soon going to spill out and hit us too. And then that is exactly what happened. And and when that happens, the, the book kind of switches from a detective story to a disaster story. And I track the effects of NotPetya across the world as it causes this wave of devastation. I've been including Sandworm into a triad of recent must-read cybersecurity canon Hall of Fame books that not only tells the history of the relatively new development of continuous low-level cyber conflict between nation-states from about 2010 until present, but also attempts to explain the current thinking of some of the key cyber power players like Russia, China, the United States, Iran, and North Korea. David Sanger's Hall of Fame book, Perfect Weapon, covers the history and key thinking of all the power players. Richard Clark and Robert Nackey's Hall of Fame book, Fifth Domain, covers similar material, but leans towards the policy side of the discussion. And finally, Andy Greenberg's Hall of Fame book, Sandworm, focuses specifically on Russia. The book is called Sandworm, A New Era of Cyber War by Andy Greenberg. And you can hear a much more in-depth, longer interview in my CSO Perspectives podcast exclusively on the CyberWire Pro subscription services. And congratulations to Andy for his induction into the Cybersecurity Canon Hall of Fame. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, 
Banta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Ben Yellen. He's from the University of Maryland Center for Health and Homeland Security, but also my co-host over on the Caveat Podcast. Hello, Ben. Hello, Dave. Uh, Interesting story from uh, Joseph Cox over on the Vice website, and it's titled Pentagon Surveilling Americans Without a Warrant, Senator Reveals. Uh, What's going on here, Ben? So this is Senator Ron Wyden, um, who, if there is a story about government surveillance and uh, it involves a lawmaker, you probably have a 90% chance that it's going to be Ron Wyden. Uh, He has sent a letter to the Department of Defense asking them to declassify a program where they are conducting warrantless surveillance of Americans. Um, So he's asking for detailed information from the Department of Defense, the Pentagon, the NSA, Uh, and the Director of National Intelligence uh, about this program where special forces in the U.S. military are buying location data from data brokers. So these are Hmm. private data brokers, uh, and without a warrant, the government is going in and obtaining some of this data. So Senator Wyden has a bunch of questions uh, that he specifically wants answered. One, I think that's particularly relevant, uh, both because it's what the majority of the American people care about, and there's some legal significance, is how many of these communications were between American citizens or U.S. persons. Mm -hmm. We have uh, an American person on one end or the other. Those types of communications merit significant Fourth Amendment protection, even if they uh, have some sort of national security uh, implication. You know, other communications, when we're talking about somebody's uh, phone conversations or internet traffic being incidentally scooped up because they've been coordinating with an overseas terrorism target that might have a slightly higher justification under the law. Uh, but that's hmm. sort of what Senator Wyden is asking here is what is the extent of this data collection program? So the ask here, and this is a letter to the defense secretary Lloyd Austin is please release this information publicly So members of Congress, including those that aren't on the relevant intelligence committees, can have a reasoned debate on what the issues are here. And this can inform the decision of lawmakers uh, as to whether to pass some sort of remedial legislation like the uh, Fourth Amendment is not for sale act, which we discussed on our caveat podcast. Yeah. Now, one of the things that caught my eye here is uh, Wyden is making the point that a lot of this information they can't publish, like some of the responses from the DOD, they can't publish because some of their answers are classified. And and Senator Wyden is is pushing them to declassify these answers, as you say, so they can have uh, more public review. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the problems about any sort of public debate about these programs is – Oftentimes, we're all flying blind. You know, some of the only public debates we've had about counterterrorism intelligence programs have been after high-profile leaks, looking at you, Mr. Edward Snowden. Um, (laughs) 
Other than that, it's really hard to have reasoned debate on this because even if information is declassified, it's usually declassified long enough in advance that you know the particular information might might not be timely or relevant, you know, the way it had been six or eight months ago. Um, you know, so we see that with the release of FISA court opinions, where it reflects information that might have been useful, you know, a year ago, but the intelligence community has already moved on. They have different targets. They already have new methods uh, under consideration. And that's what's happening here. You know, there are some members of Congress, uh, particularly the eight members of the leadership in the House and the Senate, and then the chair and ranking members of the Intelligence Committee, who are able to see this. Uh, but they can't really spark a public debate if so many other members of Congress and the general public are completely in the dark as to how this program works. And it's one thing that's very uh, frustrating about trying to seek reform on these types of issues is you are dealing with classified information. Right. I, I will say that you know there's a reason this information is classified. It really does reveal some of our intelligence methods. It could reveal confidential sources. And, you know, so it's not like they're just arbitrarily uh, keeping things classified, although they have done that in the past. Yeah, um, I mean, Wyden, Wyden kind of speaks to that, too. In his letter to uh, Secretary of Defense Austin, um, he said he sort of points to, I guess, you know, that notion of that, that the DOD has been accused of overclassifying things. And in Wyden's letter, he says, information should only be classified if its unauthorized disclosure would cause damage to national security. The information provided by DOD in response to my questions does not meet that bar. Interesting. Yeah. So I'll tell you a is that, quick— Is that for him to say? <laughs> it is. I will tell you a quick story, though, um, yeah. that uh, is, a, is a staple of mine in some of my law classes. There is a very famous uh, Supreme Court case, United States v. Reynolds— um, which came out in 1953, which was about the so-called state secrets privilege, where the government could assert that a case con- uh, concerns a state secret, and uh, that case could be dismissed from court, where the plaintiffs mm. wouldn't be able to seek relief. So this was a case where um, family members of people who were in the military sued the government uh, because their family members died due to a plane crash, and they were alleging that potentially— the government was negligent in the design or operation of these airplanes. Hmm. Uh, And since these were military aircraft, the government at the time said, this is highly secretive information. We can't litigate this. If we did, you know, we would be revealing state secrets and, uh, you know, that would do damage to our national security. We're trying to fight the USSR here. Let's Hmm. get serious. Mm -hmm. Came out about 40 uh, years later. Well, some of the uh, plaintiffs of this case were still alive that that was basically BS, um, hmm. that there was no relevant national security information uh, in the Reynolds case. And in fact, um, they really tried to conceal the information because they were scared of facing uh, civil liability. Hmm. So it became this kind of uh, cautionary tale about overclassification. Right. Um, and maybe I sound paranoid, but it is a lesson to, you know, not just instinctively trust when the government says they're classifying something for national security purposes um, because they've been known to uh, lie in the past. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, I guess that's exactly what Senator Wyden is doing here. He's the one who, he has a view into this, you know, having the ability to see the classified information and, and share his opinion that uh, it doesn't meet that standard. 
Yeah, and Senator Wyden has done this before. Um, I mean, he said things on the Senate floor, like, I know things I'm not allowed to say here, but if you don't release unclassified information, um, you know, I, I, I might find a way to, to make it public. Um, mm. It's just because he is very passionate about these surveillance issues. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, the article is over on uh, the Vice website. It's titled Pentagon Surveilling Americans Without a Warrant, Senator Reveals, written by Joseph Cox. Ben Yellen, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. If you are looking for something to do over the upcoming long holiday weekend, at least here in the U.S., be sure to check out my conversation with Brandon Hoffman from Intel 471 on Research Saturday. We're discussing Etter Silent, the underground's new favorite Maldoc builder. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Guru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.